0: listening to episode number four of the Nurture Me podcast. Trauma has been affecting and changing people's lives since the beginning of time. Traumatic events often cause side effects into other parts of an individual's life. Today we're talking to counseling intern Kate Emery from Serenity Now Wellness Center in Calgary, Alberta, all about how people use food to cope with trauma. Kate holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology and a Master of Arts degree in counseling psychology. She has worked and volunteered in the field of human services for the past seven years. Her volunteer experience with the Women's Center of Calgary sparked her interest in providing nonjudgmental, meaningful support to others. Kate believes that the therapeutic space should provide safety and respect the vulnerability an individual courageously brings to each session. Kate aims to focus on meeting individuals where they are at and believes through therapeutic support an individual can heal themselves welcome Kate
1: you're listening to the nurture me podcast the only podcast that teaches you how to transform your physical and mental well-being so that you can feel your very best we firmly believe that life is more than another diet it's time to hear from the experts and support the self-love revolution here's your host educator Nutrition and Mindset Coach, Jenna Lesnar. So what
0: inspired you to study psychology?
1: My own journey with mental health really sparked my interest in psychology. I went through a period in my own life where I had severe depression, and that had me start seeing my own psychologist. And from there, I really developed an interest in it and uh, got really inspired by my psychologist and started my bachelor's.
0: And so today we're talking about how people use food to cope with trauma. So when it comes to emotional eating or consuming comfort foods, is there usually a deeper psychological issue at hand? And would you suggest that trauma may be a key culprit to this trend?
1: i kind of think trauma is a little bit of everything i I think very much when people are using food to cope definitely trauma can be a component whether or not that's something huge that has impacted the individual or they're coping in for smaller traumatic events that they wouldn't necessarily classify as trauma i think that trauma really can extend to all aspects of how people cope and that's not to say that using food to cope is a poor coping method it is Uh, just a coping method that can be unhelpful when it's not adapted properly when people don't know that they're using it to cope but food can actually be a really good coping method uh, when we're doing it mindfully and when we understand it and part of that mindfulness can come from understanding that trauma exists in our lives and that if we are able to acknowledge and we're aware of our trauma some of those kind of anxious or unconscious coping method become a little more conscious and we're more aware of those things so i definitely think that being trauma aware understanding how trauma can influence how we cope is a really important way to develop a relationship with food
0: and how would you define trauma and are there different types of trauma
1: so for this i'm going to pull a little bit from the ahs trauma-informed care unit they refer to trauma as experiences that cause intense physical and psychological stress reactions. These can be one event, a series of events, or a set of circumstances, and can be physically and emotionally harmful. They can have lasting adverse effects on the individual physically, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, In general, they impact an individual's well-being. So yes, there's a lot of different types of trauma, uh, different individuals can be experiencing uh, effects from something more long-term or from something that's a single event. I like to see trauma as everybody can have trauma whether or not it's kind of the trauma that is very apparent or the trauma from youth that you don't understand. We've all probably been the three-year-old who got lost at the mall and felt really abandoned and that can be a traumatic experience That you kind of hold with you but you don't understand why now as an adult that has such an impact. So trauma can be really difficult to to untangle for a lot of people because sometimes they haven't had something that they would consider huge or big but it might be something that they've been carrying for a long time and you have to remember the context of when trauma happened and how trauma happened and a lot of that comes from being gentle with yourself and having that understanding and empathy for that piece of you uh, that experienced trauma. I believe that trauma kind of happens from when we're born. Unfortunately, trauma is just how we interact with each other and how we experience the world. Now, sometimes individuals could have a traumatic event and they have positive coping mechanisms and lots of support in their environment, so it doesn't impact them long term. And they kind of come back to neutral. But when you don't have those support mechanisms and that resiliency built in, it can be, sometimes those traumas can stay with you. It can be harder to find coping methods that work long term, And sometimes this is when coping methods can become problematic because they maybe worked when you were three, but they're not working so much now that you're an adult or even a teenager and they're not adaptive. So, yeah, that would be uh, a little bit of how I would define trauma and how we cope with it.
0: I read a book, I think it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Are you familiar with that book? Yeah. Where they talk about how the body remembers trauma. Is that something that you can speak to from your education?
1: So I've also read that book. It's a very well-researched book and parts of it really inform a lot of the therapeutic methods that we use at our practice. The neurobiology behind it is essentially that trauma is experienced in one part of the brain and the other part of the brain is kind of the rational more uh, processing side of it Mm -hmm. and when trauma kind of gets stuck and not fully experienced or you you cope with it but not in a way that brings you back to center then that trauma experience gets stays in one side of your brain mm-hmm. and you never get to reintegrate both hemispheres of your brain. Okay. Um, and this has been shown to uh, impact a lot of chronic pain. A lot of people will experience pain on one side of the body over the other. Mm-hmm. And it, it the way that we neurobiologically store trauma has physical impacts. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely trauma can kind of be seen from a top-down perspective of let's think about it let's remember it let's understand it but also a bottom-up perspective of kind of like how can we treat the body and uh, how can we kind of how can the body influence the brain and there's lots of different approaches and it really depends on the person and how it works for them so in terms of food i think that food can sometimes be a very bottom-up approach because we are using food to kind of comfort our biological system and when the biological system kind of gets into that restful state our our nervous system calms down and in and that in general will calm down our brain slow down our processing and kind of bring us back to that feeling of center. Unfortunately something like food doesn't always have that long-lasting impact that other coping methods might have, but it's a really easily accessible one and one that makes a lot of sense from a biological perspective.
0: So it's almost using food as like a grounding mechanism then?
1: Yeah, I'd say that food can be really, really grounding yeah. and one of the ways that food can become a little bit more of a more conscientious or mindful uh, coping method is to really of ground yourself in the process of eating and that and some people kind of concentrate on taste and concentrate on sensation other people are kind of aware of what am I going to eat how am I going to plan this and kind of mindfully bringing themselves either into that thinking part of their brain so that they're doing it a little more consciously or mindfully really concentrating on the smells and the sensation around eating. So yeah, food can be really, really grounding. And also from a biological perspective, grounding in terms of now your body has to digest, mm-hmm. now your body is putting energy into something else, and mm-hmm. that really can help your nervous system reground itself mm-hmm. because it has to put energy into those biological processes so you're not going to necessarily stay in that anxiety state Mm -hmm. because your body only has so much energy Mm -hmm. that it can use at once.
0: Can you speak to what trauma looks like? How does trauma change the brain and behaviors of an individual or how it impacts an individual?
1: Yeah, so we talked a little bit about how it can impact the brain. One of the really interesting things about trauma is that it really does rewire the brain and your neurobiological processing. Uh, Thinking at it from a a perspective of triggers, a uh, innocuous uh, everyday smell could be processed quite normally by someone else, but for someone who has a trauma event tied to that, it can send them into a memory, it can send them uh, into dissociation, and that can really, that is a different kind of wiring than someone who hasn't had the same experience. And I think trauma really does a good job of highlighting how trauma really individualizes each person and their own brain, which is part of why approaches need to be tailored for each individual because the experience and the neurobiology of an individual is gonna be different kind of person to person. Physically, trauma can lead to chronic pain disorders. It can lead to very intense neurobiologically tied disorders like functional neurological disorder, formerly called conversion disorder, which is essentially when you've had an extreme trauma and the neurobiology has caused so much rewiring that you, your body is not responding to the world typically and you are not responding to environmental cues typically and usually disorders like fibromyalgia functional neurological disorder have some kind of root in trauma whether or not that is in terms of a trauma that can be easily identified or it is a trauma that's been carried for such a long time and it hasn't been triggered until there's a smaller traumatic event a lot of the time individuals who have Um, single incidents like motor vehicle accidents will all of a sudden find that other traumas are also impacting them. And that can be because this small, smaller single event has now kind of triggered all of these other traumas to come closer to the surface. So it is a complex and very interesting way that the neurobiology and biology of trauma uh, impacts individuals day to day. But it is something that we see in uh, the mental health profession, impacting people from a neurobiological and physical perspective. So there's, those are intrinsically linked. So it's really, it can be really interesting. Some people who have chronic pain are able to work from that bottom-up perspective and kind of get like massage therapy and physiotherapy. Mm-hmm that really helps regulate their nervous system and that helps rewire their neurobiology. And the, there are people who get therapy and that can really help release some of the physical pain. So using the, it, being able to use those two methods and design a, a, an approach for each individual using as much or as little of each method as is appropriate can actually be a really transformational experience for a lot of people, which is what we try and do in our practice as well.
0: And that's I think what I love about serenity is that they incorporate the psychology portion with the body works and the massage therapy and the biodynamic cranial sacral therapy all together so when you go in as a client at that clinic they're working from all aspects to help you heal do you think that someone needs to identify what the trauma is in order to heal it
1: though so that would depend on the approach that you were using. Um, Some people would say yes, and that being able to understand what the trauma is can really help an individual move past it. I work from the philosophy, from the methodology, that you don't necessarily need to know what the trauma is, but you do need to be able to experience it in a safe and healthy way that allows you to move through it and process it and I do believe that a lot of that processing really needs to happen with a professional who is trauma-informed because there is so much that if it's not processed properly or not processed thoroughly that you can get very stuck. And I think that a lot of people who've had negative experiences with mental health professionals kind of get that stuck feeling and they don't necessarily want to go back because being stuck in that terrible traumatic feeling is not a good feeling in any way shape or form and it makes sense that you wouldn't want to go back after you've had an experience like that with a mental health professional and you wouldn't trust them so that process can be different depending on who you see Even within our own practice, we have different methodologies and the different methodologies are going to work differently for each individual. The individual really needs to have a little bit of self-advocacy to be able to say, this is working for me or this isn't. And I think that's one of the things that professionals can do a little bit more education around for their clients to say, it's okay to say that I'm not a good fit and to help them find someone who is. The good thing about our practice is that we do have some diversity in terms of the approaches that we use we all come at it from a trauma-informed perspective but we might be trained in different methodologies and even within the methodologies that we might have that are similar we come at it from a different perspective so that would be yes no answer that again it really depends on the individual and the professional that you're working with
0: i can see how that like crosses over into into nutrition where I can recognize one approach doesn't fit all of my clients and really making sure clients are checking in and letting me know like what's working and what's not working so we can adjust so it's like the same the same thing Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm not the best fit for them as a nutrition coach maybe that someone one of my colleagues or someone else that I know would fit them better so I really like that about what you mentioned there I recently read a statistic that one in four people who binge eat have post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you speak to that at all?
1: So, I can't necessarily speak to this statistic, but that does make a lot of sense to me. I would say that most people who are binge eating, if not all people who are binge eating, have experienced some kind of trauma, but I'm of the perspective that everybody has experienced some Mm. kind of trauma. I think that the strong physical and biological impacts that happen in uh, PTSD and trauma survivors. Food as a coping method really makes a lot of sense to me because it is so biologically grounding and physically grounding that even when you're in a state of dissociation and dissociation being where you don't feel fully connected to your body or to the world around you, that food can be a really grounding method that brings you back into your body and into the world around you. So it makes a lot of sense that binge eating happens when you dissociate, meaning that you're kind of starting a binge, you're not aware of what your body, state your body is in. And that can lead to what happens in binge eating, which is overeating. So it's not so much the eating to Coke that is the problem, it's the overeating and the sense of kind of lack of control that comes out of it. So in combination with uh, PTSD, it makes a lot of sense because binge eating is not a mindful uh, activity. And one of the methods that might work for people who are binge eaters is to remove some of that shame around the process, understand that it's coping, but also to go into it mindfully when possible, like, If you feel like you're gonna start binging to say, I am gonna eat to cope right now. And then being able to check in while while you are eating to say, am I feeling satiated? Has this helped me reach my normal emotionally? And kind of stopping it before it gets to that overeating phase. But that can be a really difficult task, especially for people who are dissociated. Mm -hmm. So that method doesn't work for everybody but it is one of the, the tools that some people find helpful in kind of cutting down on binge eating or feeling more in control over episodes of eating to cope.
0: Why do you think people turn to food when they're dealing with trauma?
1: So I think people turn to food because it is grounding and it uh, helps regulate the nervous system. Food tastes really good, food is really comforting think it's something that we are taught really early even from a cultural perspective that food can be community, food is supposed to be a feeling that is good, and food kind of one of those ways that a lot of people can control their environment. I think it is really important to highlight that trauma and food can kind of go the other way too. A lot of people with trauma will develop eating disorders that involve not eating or restricting what they eat. And that, again, is a coping method around food that isn't necessarily accessing the grounding mechanisms of food, but is accessing the sense of control that you have over your environment. A lot of people who have eating disorders can also be really good cooks because they want to learn as much as possible about what they're eating they want to have the experience around food but feel very in control around it so i think it's a complex answer around why people use food but from several different perspectives there can be a lot of reasons that you can kind of conclusions that you can come to
0: binge eating is one form of eating disorder but it's not the only one that can be trauma induced you mentioned restricting so anorexia and bulimia is that what you would be referring to
1: so they have changed some of the definitions recently around eating disorders in general to have it be a little bit more catch-all because in general people who binge eat can also have symptoms of anorexia Mm -hmm. people who are bulimic can also have symptoms of binge eating and there's it is a eating disorders in general there's a lot of overlap Mm -hmm. there are people who are more on the restrictive side and people who are more on the overeating side but that doesn't mean that they're not both kind of coming to food and coming from a place of wanting control and I think that it is important to understand that for most people this is trauma-induced and is a way for them to feel like they have control over their environments or over their own bodies.
0: And what are some of the coping mechanisms that you suggest for someone dealing with trauma-induced binge eating?
1: So, as I previously stated, being able to mindfully eat can be a really helpful coping method. I don't think that food should ever really be taken away as a coping method, because it's really hard, especially in our culture, to remove this idea that food is comforting and food tastes good and food is grounding. For some people, as I said, that mindfulness is not going to be an approach that works because their binge eating or their control over eating doesn't come from that place of, I can think. It just happens. And for those people, I think it can be really helpful to have other grounding methods. Some people will use dive response which can be kind of putting your putting ice on your face kind of regrounding yourself with a really intense sensation other people can do 54321 which is you know using your senses name five things that you can see four things you can feel three things you can hear two things you can one thing you can taste anyway some people use 54321 which is a helpful tool and an easy one to look up. And those can be kind of really good base methods. I think for some people having good kind of dialectic behavioral therapy can be a good starting point. For some eating disorders, there is a new method called radically open dialectic behavioral therapy or RODBT, which can be a little bit of an adjusted approach. In general, I think that kind of having those base coping methods is vital to have that before you start working on your trauma. Because if you kind of dive into trauma and you don't have those tools to help you stay stabilized, that's when you're going to feel really dysregulated, you're going to feel like you keep getting stuck because you don't have any other helpful methods to kind of get you out of those trauma responses. So we really need to Remember that before we go into trauma, we need to have a really good toolkit for grounding, for coping, or else it's gonna seem like you're almost in a state of hyper coping. So those habits that before you were able to kind of cope, they came along in your life and you just kind of used them as you went and coped are now gonna seem extra heightened and it might feel really destructive for some people.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much, Kate, for chatting with me today. I think that that's going to be really helpful for my listeners just to learn more about how trauma can affect how we eat and if there's any, like, disordered eating at all, that it maybe it's trauma-induced. Uh, it sounds like you think everyone's been through with some type of trauma. I think I would agree with that in my practice, seeing that the issues that people struggle with, that there's probably something deeper behind that. So... I love that we work together and that I can send them your way when I need to. So Mm -hmm. thank you. You can find Kate at Serenity Now Wellness Center in Calgary, Alberta, and you can head to serenitynowwellness.ca to learn more.